Welcome to Saving UX. I'm your host, Jeremy Kriegel. Every episode, I talk to UX veterans about the challenges facing our practice and what we can do to make it better. This is the second half of my conversation with Susan Rice, VP of User Experience at Workiva. If you missed part one, go back and listen to that. You can watch it on YouTube, listen on most podcast platforms, or do both at sucks.live. That's S-U-X for savingux.live. And now the conclusion of my conversation with Susan Rice. So you mentioned access to the business and strategy. And I imagine if I were to kind of think about maybe different conversations, those might fall into what I would consider conversations I probably knew were happening and maybe I was or wasn't involved in, but I knew they were going on. Are there any types of conversations that maybe you didn't even know were occurring when you were at uh, maybe a lower level position in the organization? And now that you see those happening, um, you're like, oh, I should have been involved in this. I didn't even know what was going on so that that other UX folks could look for and try to become a part of. I mean, yeah, at some point for sure there were, you know, conversations I didn't, I mean, actually I would say even today, I, there's probably conversations I don't know <laughs> that are going on just because there's so much information. Sure. There's so much like, you know, we're all just trying to do so many things. Um, you know, one of the things is the higher up you go, inevitably you're juggling more things. I'm not saying you're not you're not doing deep as deeply focused things. You're not getting as much into the details and you shouldn't be the higher up you go. But you are you've got a broader swath of all kinds of information that can feel almost like disparate and so you're juggling so many things and so um at any given time it's really hard to remember even what might be helpful for somebody else uh, to cascade down to. So, and and that's not, I don't think that's an intentional thing. That is just what it is. That's just what the job is. The higher up you go, the more you have in terms of disparate points of data and information and um, insights. So um, yeah, I mean, even today, I'm sure there's things that I I don't know about, but um, what my job is though, is to make sure that I'm communicating with my manager so that he's always remembering why I might need some certain type of information, what, what could be helpful. Um, you know, I am like super, super fortunate um, that I have an awesome manager um, and I have an awesome group of um, product organizational leadership. So for our product org. Um, so I do report into the head of product, um, but he, the way he thinks about it, and this is, it's still a little like interesting, but it works. It, it's working for us is that he's like, Hey, you know, yes, I'm your manager, but we're both, he's a head of product, but he's like, but you're also the head of UX. And so while there might be a hierarchical relationship from a management perspective, we're actually peers when it comes to the disciplines. And he's the one that articulated that. So, you know, that's hello. Yeah. Right. Thanks. That's great. I'm super, super yeah, thankful great. for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thankful for um, my peers in product. Um, so my product management um, you know, uh, of the leaders in product management so that we're, we're having a lot of interesting conversations. We've been doing a lot more workshopping this year. So instead of just the one hour meeting, um, we've been able to like dig into like really deep topics to figure out how to enable our teams to be more successful, you know, going forward. 
Um, and some of those conversations are not comfortable. In fact, last time I'm like, can we just have five minutes of celebrating before we leave? Because it's still like, I don't want to walk away from this conversation feeling this way. So can we just say like one thing we want to celebrate or that we're celebrating? So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, um, to get back to, I don't know. I'm like, I feel like that's hopefully getting back to your original. Yeah. Um, so in the way you articulated um, one, I think it's it's awesome that your manager kind of articulated that you know the, the the peer nature of of product and UX from a discipline perspective. You also said, but there's also that hierarchy mm-hmm. there, and I think that speaks in some ways, even at the practitioner level, of the dual role that UX often plays in that we support product through our how how we conceptualize how we're going to solve problems, but we also mm-hmm. can be a stakeholder to product in the way we advocate for users. So there is this sort of, uh, yeah, I, I guess dual relationship of of stakeholder and and supporter, and I wonder if that makes uh, some of that relationship or, or or structure a little bit more challenging. I, I don't know. I've observed it. I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not sure. I'm not sure. I, I just think that you know, for us, um, we're we shouldn't be alone. By the way, in um, how much we're um, reminding and keeping the customer forefront in our mind, we shouldn't be alone in that. Um, sometimes we're just like the, we just happen to be the ones that are reminding everyone of it. (laughs) And again, setting up those systems that enable others to keep that forefront in their minds. Um, so that is part of, um, I feel like it's a, it's a big part of our role at UX. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, team building, if you don't mind shifting gears. Because uh, you talked about you, yeah. you know your leadership, um, I'm curious how you think about developing the next level of leaders under you. How do you how do you um, view them and preparing them for um, for their growth in their career and how to be effective leaders within within your team? Yeah. So, um, you know, honestly, I feel like this last year I've probably done less development as I should because we've been building the team. And so I had to build up pretty much a whole new leadership team um, in my current current organization at Workiva. Um, because honestly, you know, really we were quite underinvested in terms of how we were growing and where we were growing and um, and where we were putting our um, our emphasis. Um, so so I built up a whole new team. Um, fortunately, there were a couple of different people that are also already within the team and they were in really key positions and that like completely helped us so much with this growth. Um, so this year has been a lot more about, okay, let's onboard, let's set you up for success for this role right now. Um, so as we get into this new calendar year, we'll talk more about career growth and like planning beyond these kind of like director you know, heads of types of roles. Um, but more recently, I've taken on some of our, um, our UX managers, um, just with some shifting of some of our roles and stuff. And specifically what we've done there is, um, you know, I gave them like a template essentially for an IDP uh, individual, de- yeah, an individual development plan, not to be confused with a pit, yeah. by the way. So <laughs> I, for a hot second, I was like, wait, did I just get that right? Um, so individual development plans, thinking about like where we are today, where do you want to go? Not just like within Workiva, just, it's 
science. Like, let's talk about even beyond and, and you know, where you see yourself in three to five years. They were like, can we not do five? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. We don't have to go that, that far. Um, so we started having those individually, um, those individual conversations and, you know, are, are working through like, hey, what does that, based on where you want to head and breaking that down, how can we set you up for success, both in your role here, but also thinking about like your longer term. So what are those um, development opportunities? Um, what are the training opportunities? What are those types of things? And so um, that's what we've been really focused on in the last, actually this last month, I would say. Um, and we'll continue to have those conversations because they're not a one and done. It's like, you know, it's over time. Um, and then with that, then they're able to like, take in their own personal development goals and then we can tie into the work related goals so where could those be overlap that would enable both um for us to be more successful in our in our company but also also overlaps and helps get them closer to where they want to go personally so that's just like one way that we've been doing it um, obviously we have leveling guides competencies we're continuously looking at those and figuring out ways how to optimize those. Some of the areas that I find that are really confusing anywhere is the difference between a UX manager and a senior UX manager, the difference between a director and a senior director. Um, and so we're trying to make that a little more clear, but quite frankly, I always find that a little difficult to differentiate. And again, as I mentioned, I'm looking at that not just within the UX team, I'm trying to, you know, I'm working with HR, I'm working with some of these other leaders to say like, how are you thinking about that equitably and in a um, calibrated way across R&D? Mm -hmm. um, so so, so th some of those are some efforts that are going on right now. Um, I am super excited and it's way, way um, late in the game, but we're finally gonna hire a design ops manager so I finally just crafted that job description. I've got the team, um, you know, looking at it to give me feedback and I'm hoping to open that in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, in hindsight, that would have been really helpful last year. Um, <laughs> but you know what, um, I, I, I knew that wasn't exactly kind of, you have to take different approaches, different tactics to get where you need to go. And um, I put my eggs in the product ops. Um, basket intentionally um, to help us with some of the challenges, you know, of, of working across other teams. And so we were able to hire an awesome um, head of product operations. Um, and so she's really, and this is part of what I had planned and thankfully it worked out was like, if we can get her in and her helping, you know, um, us more broadly, then we're gonna demonstrate the value of ops and that will enable me to open a role in 2022. And that all came to fruition. So that was exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat, also looking to add design ops to, to the team this year. And also very, very, very excited about that. Um, yeah. What maybe another, another growth question on, on leaders. In your career, you've, I imagine you've seen, you've helped a lot of individual contributors move into a, a management or leadership position. Are there any common challenges that you've seen as people try to make that transition and any advice you get, you might give to people who are, are trying to make that leap or that change in their career? The one thing, the, the very first thing I would ask of anyone who's thinking about being a manager is why. Why are you thinking about being a manager? 
let's just talk about what are you really, really passionate about? Um, you know, what are the, like really teasing apart, like that passion um, to better understand if you're thinking about being a manager because you want to ultimately, um, it's about leveling and trying to get up to becoming, you know, um, a director or something along those lines and that you're really not passionate about the, the people management part. Um, so I really, that's the first thing is really trying to understand that piece of things because you can be a very effective individual contributor, high, you know, high, high IC um, and not have to do the people management piece, but still be able to mentor, still be able to lead, still be able to do a lot of, um, you know, of those aspects without, you know, um, getting into, I don't know, there's some challenges with people management, you know, the emotional um, pieces of that, like you have to be vulnerable and open and, um, you know, be, a, you know, <laughs> like really thinking about, it's not about you anymore. It's about them, an, another individual um, and helping them, you know, figure out how to shape and grow and giving them critical feedback, uh, you know, giving them positive, um, all that stuff. And that's not, that's not everyone's jam. Um, and so being really honest about that is the first, the first thing um, I would ask people. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, the, <laughs> that's the first thing I would ask. And then if you're like, oh, well, I think so, you know, um, depending on where you are, if there's like a, um, an opportunity to do a little bit more mentorship, both within the organization and outside of the organization, that's a good kind of first step. Um, but, you know, if you can have more of a longer term mentorship relationship, not just a one off like 30 minute conversation, but a, a relationship, um, you know, or carrying that mentorship over time, that'll be a little bit closer and it'll give you some of those opportunities. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then I think it's like just being able to have some more detailed conversations around what management really is, uh, what it really entails. Uh, it's not easy. It's not an easy job. No. Um, so <laughs> yeah. very rewarding, uh, but no, not easy. No, it can be really rewarding, but so can being a um, you know a, like a highly distinguished IC who's leading and mentoring. That can yeah, also be absolutely. really rewarding. Yeah. So it's again, it's it's about being honest with yourself. Yeah, because it can be heartbreaking too. <laughs> It can be totally heartbreaking. That's the, that is what I mean. It's like, and that is not for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to talk more maybe about individual contributors. Um, your background, I think, is one of the things that's interesting. Well, there's a lot of things that are interesting. But one of the things that's interesting is in your education, when, you know, when we started in design, as you mentioned, there were no academic programs. You got into UX through something else. So you have your psychology degree. I was in art and English, um, but you then also went and you got your master's. You went to Bentley. So you've had both the, well, I would say very related field, but not directly in design or UX. You've had the UX education. You're creating teams of people who now have the opportunity to study in some of these programs or boot camps or, you know, get their education in some other ways. How do you look at the, I guess, the evolution of, of UX education and how does that kind of inform some of the choices you make when you're making hiring decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I think that's evolved over time. 
Um, so by the way, this is a funny thing. So when I joined Staples, I um, was in my last semester at Benton and they were so strict at the time about having a master's. Anyone in the US Staples at that time had to already have a master's. They gave me such a hard time that they're like, well, how do we know you're gonna graduate? How do we know you're gonna finish? And it's like, really? You think at this point, $40,000 later, <laughs> I'm just gonna quit. just drop yeah. out this one last class? And that, uh, yeah, then I couldn't be on the stable team. So that's kind of a funny little story, by the way. Probably they're not happy about me telling it. But um, <laughs> in any case, they took me on, they trusted me enough, and guess what? I finished. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it was interesting because back then, like, we went to school. I have a couple of friends, Lisa is one of them, that we just, we get together ever so often and we just laugh about how we were in such the right place at the right time because that was one of the first real programs and it's part of the McKellen Business School. So super awesome of Bill Gribbons to see that, um, just, you know, have that understanding of this is more than a, it's not a design school type of education. This is about being tied to the business and business results. Um, so super thankful for that. Um, but at the time, like they didn't have a lot of programs and stuff. And so we were kind of some of the earlier, um, you know, people going through such a, uh, a robust program of that nature. Um, and we laugh because UX hadn't blown up the way it is now. So we look back and we're like, oh my God, we were in just such a great position in terms of the timing of the growth of our community and our, um, and of our, you know, our field. Um, and so that was, that was just like, honestly, it was luck. And the fact that I have a bachelor's in psychology, that's just like luck. <laughs> like, so that was not like, if you look at my CV, you're like, wow, that was like really intentional. And it looks so like, you know, planned. Heck no, not at all. It was just, just it just somehow came together magically. Honestly, I'm very fortunate for that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, then that, that was a differentiator to have that master's program under my belt. I was, you know, it's definitely, it was a differentiator at the time. Now it's a lot harder and, you know, in terms of looking at education as being a differentiator because there are so many programs, undergraduate, graduate, boot camps, right? Like so many different programs that are um, pumping out people left and right. Um, and so it's, it's great. That's another indicator, right? That, that um, you know, we're heading in the right direction is that this is becoming normalized. Um, but I would say it, in terms of hiring, we still look at not just the education, but what are the skills and the experience and the growth mindset? That's huge. Like that doesn't come with a master's degree. That comes with your, you being a human being and understanding, um, you know, the importance like like that that you want to learn, that you're hungry for that, that you're open, that you don't have a fix like, oh, this is the only way to do something and we got to do a process and the UX process is this way and blah, 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 blah. Like that's not going to work. We're all change makers being in UX. That's the, like, that's one of the things we all, we're all change makers if we're doing this effectively. And so to be that you have to be open and you have to have a growth mindset because every context in business is different. And so you've got to figure out based on what I have here in this moment in whatever level of role where am I going to be able to drive the most change and how am I going to do that effectively? You got to be open to whatever it is that's handed to you.
so I, I think that's more important than looking at um, the degree. Now, obviously, you know, it's not the only thing. We have different levels. We have different expectations, depending on what the complexity is for any given role. And so, yes, like many other organizations, we're going to be hiring more senior designers than we are, you know, junior designers or associate level because of the way we're set up and in terms of like the complexity of that problem and that problem area. So, um, so it just depends from that perspective as well. But, um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about with these boot camps and different degrees is we have a lot of imposter syndrome in UX and there's probably many different reasons for that. But one of the ones that I just kind of wonder about is the the more experience you have in anything, the less likely I believe you would have imposter syndrome. And if you only have like three months worth of a boot camp of experience, I feel like that is going to naturally put you in the position where you're going to have an increased likelihood of having imposter syndrome. You know, to to jump into a role and then it, like and and think that you're going to be able to know how to handle those situations with three months of you know of school i mean that's just hard i don't know if i would consider that um, imposter yeah. syndrome i might say that that would be humility and an acceptance of reality if you only have three months experiences you really don't know what you're doing and acknowledging that yeah, is that's uh, a good point. should be should that's... be the, the baseline if you have three months of experience and you think you can jump into a yeah. senior role that's a different type of imposter syndrome <laughs> yeah that is a good point uh, yeah i can't figure out where there's some ux leaders that i'm like there's no way you have imposter syndrome. Are you kidding me? Like you, have, you know, exactly. You're like, oh my God, you're like my, woo, you know, and yet like that's, it's fascinating that um, so many people have imposter syndrome. I have moments of it. I wouldn't just say it's like blanket, yeah. you know, um, but I just kind of wonder the moments of it, isn't that most people, regardless of what role you have? Um, is, and then is it imposter syndrome or is it like that stretch of like, Oh, this is a whole new situation. Do I really know what to do here? But yeah. shouldn't we always be stretching to some extent also? So I don't know the balance of all those things. But yeah, no, that's a good point. I thought of design or UX. And I, sorry, I use the word, the terms interchangeably because lots of other people do, but I, I do prefer UX as a term. I know. I've looked at it as a journey from ambiguity to clarity in many ways. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, yeah. doesn't matter how senior we are, we all start from that 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 ambiguous place because it's a new problem and we don't may not have the domain expertise or if it, if it had been solved before we wouldn't have to worry about it and i think that the yeah. big difference between a junior person and a senior person is well, we all start there again we all start together as not knowing the senior folks can at least say i've been through this journey enough i may not know where the end is but i know i'll be able to get there and 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 i have enough things to draw on that'll that i can move through this journey and get to an end at a reasonable time, quality, et cetera. And the junior person might not have enough in their experience toolbox at whatever to feel like they know they, they have that confidence they can get there. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's how our competencies and leveling guide are, are outlined in terms of like scope and complexity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned something else interesting. Um, you, you talked about that level of experience and, and new folks and senior folks and that because of, of your environment, you're hire, you tend to be hiring more senior people. And I found the same to be true in a lot of my experience. And I feel like when I look in the market now, there's a lot of 
competition and, and it's very tight for senior people. I'm hiring senior people now and um, the, you know, it's hard to find the good applicants that are the great fit and it's tough interviewing. And when I put out an associate level, entry level role, I had a hundred applicants in a day. Um, yeah, totally. And, of course. Mm -hmm. and I think, so I guess my question is, it does feel like as maybe as part of our maturity that we do tend to rely more on the senior people. Are there things that we could do better as organizations to give more opportunities to some of these new people starting out? Cause it does seem like, like you said, there's, there's an overwhelming number of them and they're struggling to, to find good opportunities for that, for that first job. But what can we as I guess managers and UX mm -hmm. leaders do to, uh, to help them and make it easier, or give them those opportunities? Yeah, so I'm a huge um, proponent of pair design, where we can do it, where you're pairing up a couple of designers on a given, like, you know, complex problem or problem area. Um, so that is one opportunity that we could possibly do that. Um, this is actually an interesting debate, like, you know, um, with what um, Peter Moholtz calls the centralized partnership. And so if you had a model like that, where it's like, oh, you know, you have a lead and then you have a group of different designers who can work in any given problem space overall, uh, then you probably have more opportunity to kind of like hire different levels within that, like the group of designers, right? Um, but a lot of organizations actually uh, design and we do as well. We have our UX designers specifically, um, by the way, I have specialized roles. We can get into that if you're interested, but UX designers are the ones that are embedded within the squads. So as part of the triad. Um, and so when you have that model, it just automatically creates a harder, um, like less of an opportunity to hire more junior designers um, because they'd have to be operating where they'd be really effective in a squad right away, or at least, you know, over time. Um, and, you know, depending on the complexity of what that squad's problem space is, that might be hard for um, an associate designer to um, be able to handle and manage yeah. on their own. So that's, I think that is one of the biggest challenges we have as a community, as a field to like be able to work through um, and then still find those opportunities to open up more um, op yeah, more roles to those associates or even mid-levels too. Um, I believe it's why we have so many um, so many roles for seniors specifically, even more so than leads. Yeah. Like that, yeah, that is the bigger need because in my, you know, anecdotally, I believe it's because of that um, embedded model. Hmm. Um, so, so I think my idea is like, okay, well, how can you still have possibly, because I, I do believe quite frankly, in the embedded model. Um, I do believe in it because um, that's where you're gonna have that trusted relationship and that voice at, you know, at making those decisions together when you have a designer there as well. Now, if they're only there sometimes, oops, they're forgotten, um, right? They're forgotten. And so um, that's, that becomes its own challenge and problems. And so that's what we're trying to avoid is we're actually like, oh no, this is a triad. They're building those relationships together. They're you know working together throughout the life cycle of whatever they're working on. Now the question becomes, is there enough ebb and flow 
within any given problem area that you can split the um, work up a little bit. And then could you possibly, could that be the way then you can hire more junior designers? So if you had, for instance, two squads, but they're not, you know, um, one, one designer might be more of the lead, whether that's a senior or a lead, and then the associate is on the other squad, but they're really paired up together yeah. across those two squads. That's, I think, where we can see more opportunities to then, again, open up more associate level roles. Yeah, we're experimenting with something similar right now, but uh, yeah, don't don't see a lot of that, and and still need more senior people to, than than uh, entry level uh, to make that work. Well, and a lot of it has to do with the, the size of your UX team as well. So if you've got a smaller team, you just can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't afford to do that. Um, so it, it really has. I think it's more about like how how do the larger UX teams um, open up those opportunities. Yeah there's so many things that I, I still want to ask, but I also want to, you know, be mindful of our time here. So I thought maybe the, maybe something good to, to wrap up with is when I've heard you speak before, you've also, you've often talked about how you celebrate with a team and kind of bond together, especially in, in the world of virtual work. So I wonder maybe the, how, how do you, how do you think about like creating that the culture and the, and the bond with, within your UX team, especially given, you know, remote work and, and how you know, physically disconnected we are in this time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I'm just somebody that likes to have fun. <laughs> so it's really just about that. So um, actually, and it's funny, my um, head of content design, she's like, I don't know. Are we having enough fun? I'm like, yeah, no, let's find new ways of having like more ways of having fun. So we're, we're really just trying to, there's no, like just continuously add different elements. So whether, whether that's like the simple one is everyone's on Slack or some version of Slack. Right. Um, so how do we make sure every week we, uh, we have Fridays on, on Fridays. So those are, you know, calling people out. Anyone in the team can, can kick off Fridays and that's where anyone on the team celebrate somebody else on the team for doing some awesome work for that week. So, um, you know, uh, one of our um, uh, lead UX researchers just kicked it off a couple hours ago. I just, I didn't have time to jump in there, but I will at some point. And it's really great. And it's just like celebration. Like we should make it like always remember to add like moments of celebrating the hard work that we're doing. And that's one of those things that, you know, can be easily forgotten. And so we do that on the weekly we do it on the, um, we just had our look back for 2020, um, H2 of 2021, where that was like two hours of us going through and celebrating some of the great work we're doing at, at another deeper level. Um, and then there's the, so those are like celebrations, reminders, you know, um, of each other. But we also have like a Zoom coffee hours. Um, it's so funny. We usually use Google Meet, but then we call it, this is the one thing we do Zoom for. <laughs> Anyways, um, so it's a coffee hours, um, and we've been playing around with that for some time. When I joined, they had one every day, but then because it was optional, nobody was showing up, and so it was kind of confusing. So we've, you know, iterated with that, and ultimately, we are now at every other Friday. Uh, it's just half an hour, but we do breakout groups because enough people show up that what was happening is we'd sit there, and we'd be like, Okay, there was one person at a time, and it's just like an awkward conversation when nine people are watching and one person's talking. <laughs> That's a good idea. So, um, so what we do is we yeah, we start with the group, 
then we break out into breakout groups and we'll have some kind of topic or we'll do something and then we'll come together. Um, today is actually, we'll do a game. Um, I, you know, so sometimes we'll do a game or something fun um, and not just have a conversation. So I actually wanted to do, there's a game called Werewolf or something like that, but that's gonna have to, I think it might be an hour, not half an hour. So I'll do that later on. Um, but yeah, we have like different events. We have um, our UX team jam. Uh, we did that in November. And so we actually did um, a couple of different things. We did empathy mapping for each other. So um, I took a stretch and I was like, I don't know, I've never empathy mapped a team to team. But as we are continuously growing and adding new people and we have different disciplines and just making sure that we're working the most effectively with one another, um, we did empathy mapping um, at the kind of like at the team level, at the discipline level, sorry. So that was fun. You know, like we had a number of different exercises. We have um, huge Who My board um, where people can show and just like um, share, not just like the, you know, where they live because we're remote, right? And what their core hours are and what their title is and what their pro project are they're supporting. But the rest is about the individual. Like I had everyone take the Enneagram and we had a whole session around the Enneagram and mapped ourselves together on the Enneagram board. And we had conversations around that. Um, so a lot of that is like, hey, the more you can learn about yourself, the more you're going to be able to um, effectively work with others. And then the more people understand about who you are, then they can figure out how to motivate and how to like work most effectively with you. And so building in a lot of those um, types of, um, I don't know, like practices to our, to our work um, is like, to me, that's really important and it makes us all better humans. I think that is a, a fantastic sentiment yeah. to uh, to end on. So, Susan, thank you so much for joining. <laughs> if people want to hear more about what you're up to, any social media channels where they can find find you? Yeah, LinkedIn is honestly that's the easiest and best one for me. I'm there all the time. Great. Well, again, really appreciate you taking taking the time today. Um, I will kind of extract some of the things from our conversation and make sure we get those up on the show notes and you'll be able to find those at sucks.live that's sux.live for saving ux uh, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and insights that all the folks have shared and you can also go to the site to find past episodes there's great nuggets in each one uh, um, so okay, once again i just want to thank susan rice for joining me today and until next time uh, i'm jeremy Craig.